Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Amen. Wow, I just felt the Holy Ghost in that service tonight. Thank you, Jesus. I'm amazed. You know, um, many times I've shared that I've had a sermon in mind, and God's changed my mind. And that happened this time, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, it didn't freak me out. It was like, I really do want to say what he wants to say, not what I want to say. Um, but I had asked Jason about a particular song to play. And when I looked at the set list, after God had changed the sermon, every single one of those songs lines up with um, what he wants to say to us tonight. And so I'm just so thankful that, um, I'm so thankful to be used by God in that way. And I'm so thankful to be in a place where we flow in the unction of the Holy Spirit and that we listen to him, we sense him, we worship him, and we're free to be who we are in him as a family. Um, Yesterday, we had our uh, women's noon Bible study, and as I was sitting there listening to the ladies share, and we were sitting there like a family, sharing some of the real struggles that we're going through, And um, as I sat there, I listened and I thought, God, you are so good. Because we came together and as I was listening, um, I'm going to tell a little bit. I was listening to Shannon share some of what she goes through in dialysis three times a week. (laughs) And I sat there and I said, God, what do I say to her when she's going through so much? And he spoke a passage to me. I'm going to share it with you tonight. Um, I believe it's a word for all of us and what we do when life just gets really, really tough. But I got to be kind of my New York snarky self. I like that word, snarky. And, uh, you know, the guys, when they get up to preach, they all have to have a joke. And so I decided that I I was going to have to meet that challenge. And uh, I was thinking about worship. And I heard a story of a pastor um, after a Sunday morning service. He was uh, greeting people as they were coming out. And this man came up to him and he goes, you know, pastor, I just really didn't like the worship service today. And the pastor didn't miss a beat. And he looked back and he goes, that's all right. We weren't worshiping you anyway. (laughs) Isn't that great? You gotta like a man that's on his toes. I said, that's a good response. It wasn't about you anyway. <laughs> I love it. Snarky. That's my that's my new word. Snarky. Alright, let's see if I can figure this little turkey out. There we go. Nope. King of all the earth, he is, but that's not what we want up there. So is there anybody back there to fix that? Okay, they're gonna fix it. So a couple of weekends ago, I hosted the service and I talked about, um, you know, I was thinking about worship and oftentimes we'll say, let's invite the presence of God in and, you know, let's worship God and, um, you know, let's, let's bring God in. And I started thinking about that. I thought, why do we worship and why do we pray? And okay, a plain, obvious answer, because the Bible says so. But really, why do we worship and why do we pray? And so I was considering this, and um, Matthew 4.10, Jesus says, when the enemy is tempting him in the desert, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's the commandment, okay? 
So right there out of the mouth of Jesus. Now the scripture is full of times where he tells us to worship, but right there out of the mouth of Jesus himself, worship God. Okay. And then in Matthew 6, 10, he is telling what we call the Lord's prayer. They ask, Lord, how do we pray? And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are to pray that. And so I started thinking about that and I thought, Lord, what does that mean? What does on earth as it is in heaven mean? We live on the earth, it's fallen, sin is at work, there's death and there's destruction, and we know that that doesn't exist in heaven. So how can it be on earth as it is in heaven? How do we do that? Doesn't God live in us? Isn't he with us all the time? Well, we know that that's true. And isn't God everywhere? Absolutely. Okay, so we know that. Yet we also know that the world is fallen. Can you honestly say that you always, all the time, 24-7, see and feel the presence of God? Most of us would honestly say no. That there are times that we are crying out, uh, where are you, God? Where are you? That's the difference between heaven and earth, is that we don't experience God the way we could because of the world, because sin is at work, and we have a real enemy, and we fight battles all the time. So how do we know for sure that God is with us all the time, even when we don't sense it? We learn through relationship. There are so many examples in the Word of God of men and women that absolutely mined out a relationship with the living God. There are many of them. But tonight I chose to focus on one in Daniel chapter 3, and it's about, many of you know the story, but some of you may not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three men. They are Hebrew men. They are devout men. They love God, and they are determined to worship him. I'm sorry, this uh, dry and desert land. Yeah. <laughs> Tell my thirst, keep walking on. Um, so here's the basic story. I decided not to read the whole story. It's pretty long. But if you want to go home and read it in Daniel chapter 3, it's an amazing story. Word of God is always awesome. And in the midst of this story, here's what we have. We have the children of God who are in captivity in a foreign land called Babylon. Babylon is a wicked land, it's pagan, it's ungodly, it's unrighteous. They worship all kinds of idols, and they do not live for the one true God. And so they capture the children of Israel, drag them into captivity, they're slaves. And so here's these three men. They're known for their devout devotion to Jehovah, the God of Israel. And so Nebuchadnezzar is a wicked, egotistical king, and he decides one day, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have this giant gold idol made, and then I'm going to tell everybody you've got to worship it. As soon as you hear this music, you better be bowing down. Well, children of Israel, these three men, said, yeah, not going to do it. And of course, there were those around them to watch them not do it and go be big tattletales and tell the king. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do what you said, O king. And so they get taken up by the scruff of the neck, dragged before this unrighteous king. And the king says to them, um, you were told to do this. 
So I'm going to give you a chance. Now, I don't know if he was being magnanimous or if he was just putting one last thumb screw. I imagine knowing his nature, it was probably just to put in one more thumb screw. And he goes, you're going to do it right now. So when you hear that music, here's your chance. Now, here are three men that love the Lord. They're in captivity. They're slaves. Their names are not even their original names. They have nothing of their own except their devotion to God. The world is just so unrighteous. Nothing is going their way, but they know their God. And they say, you know what, King? And I love this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Amen. 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 But (laughs) he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Amen. Uh Uh-uh. Ain't no way. Not going to do it. And here's these men who know the power of God. They know who their God is. And they say, he is well able, able king, your majesty. He is well able to protect us from you and deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will still not bow. We won't do it. Church, I'm telling you, that is a powerful story of people who know their God. And as I read that story, I thought, God, how do we live that kind of faith in this world? And, you know, we, we like to think of our era, our world, our century, our time as the most wicked ever. Let me tell you, church, there's a pretty wicked regime. There's an awful lot of stuff that went on that was really, really wicked. And we enjoy a freedom in this country that is like bar none that we can openly worship and openly gather and openly honor God. So far, far, amen. But you know what? Even if not, we are not bowing. So I said, God, how do we do this? Hebrews 11.1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We know God through relationship. We know God through experience. When we worship him and when we serve him and when we honor him with our lives and we see what our great God does for us, it builds our confidence. We trust him because we're confident in what we hope for. We know, and that's not hope like, wow, I really hope so. No, no, that is hope in the God of hope. He is the God who sees. He is the God who promises. And he says, you can have assurance about what you don't see yet. You may not see it as it is in heaven right now, but I'm telling you, you can experience me as if you're in heaven right now. You may fight this world and you may face circumstances that are unspeakable at times. Have you ever hurt so much that you said... I can't get air. I know you have. We all have. 
we've all experienced that heart-wrenching result of this fallen world. We've all hurt deeply that you can't even put words to it. And yet God is faithful. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they told Nebuchadnezzar, uh-uh, no way, guess what he did? He fired up that furnace so hot, he was so angry that they would not bow to his idol. He fired up that furnace so hot that the poor slobs that opened the door died just from opening the door. I mean, you want to talk about not fair. That ain't fair. They just opened the door, and they were scorched to death standing there. And they were bound up so tightly by his army, it says, that the army bound them up. So they weren't going anywhere, and he was making sure of it. Nebuchadnezzar was making sure that they knew who was boss of the world. And our enemy will try to tell us, I'm boss of the world, and you will bow. And when we say, no, I won't, he goes, oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to heat it up, sucker. You just watch what I can do. I'm going to show you who's boss. And we say, well, you know what? And it's easy It's easy to stand here and go, yeah, well, you know, we told the king. They didn't know the end of the story, church, any more than we do. And they're being dragged and bound and getting ready to be thrown into a furnace that killed the guys that opened the door. Okay, it ain't looking good. It's just not. But they were determined that regardless of how it went, they were going to serve God. They were not going to bow their knee. That is a deep abiding relationship that I so long for in my life. And I know you do too. That kind of relationship that can't be shaken by circumstances, regardless of what the world throws our way. And so those three men are thrown into that fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's feeling pretty good. Like, yeah, I showed those puny little Jehovah worshipers who's God around this joint. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, didn't we throw throw three guys in there bound up? And now you know everybody around him is getting nervous, like, oh, man, we screwed up. We're in trouble now. We're next. Yeah, everybody's nervous because Nebuchadnezzar was pretty unstable if you read about his life. He was one unstable dude. And he goes, I see three men walking freely, and a fourth with them looking like the son of a God. The children of Israel, these three men, because of their deep abiding faith and their hope and their confidence in who God was and their refusal to bow to the wickedness of the world, their testimony even swayed the most wicked. Because how could he deny what he was seeing? with his own eyes. And he looks and he calls them and he says, come out of there, you guys, come out of there. And they come out and the word records that their clothes were not singed, their hair was not singed, and they didn't even smell of smoke or fire. Amen. And God said, yeah. Oh yeah, I don't think so, Nebuchadnezzar. Pesky little bug. I don't think so. And so these men, through their confidence, but if they had been completely scorched and eaten up by the fire, they would have been in the presence of God. And they were good with that too. And so somewhere in the midst of our lives, 
We have to know that whatever life throws our way, that God is always a good God. We sang so much tonight about the darkness and in our darkness, he's the light. And when the darkness is just surrounding us, he's still holding on. We got to have confidence in that church because it's true. It's not a fairy tale. It's not... It's not the nice stories. The Bible is just not a bunch of nice stories about people who had wonderful things or bad things happen to them. That is the word of God, the powerful, life-changing word of God. And when we read it and when we apply it to our lives, it transforms us. And it not only transforms us, it encourages the believers around us, and it testifies to the world of the power of our God. Amen. What better thing is there than that? And yet in the midst of it, and as I shared in our Bible study, as we went around that room, there were some women really experiencing some, some hurts. It was real. It was, it was, it was raw. And I just sat there and I felt kind of hopeless because I thought, Lord, what do I say? (laughs) What do I say? We're getting to that passage in a minute. So Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. That is who we are as God's people. Regardless of what the world throws our way, that is who we are as God's people. We find joy in the midst of this life, no matter what is dished up, no matter what we're served by life. We often refer to sensing God as the manifest present presence of God. It manifests itself and we sense him. We can taste, we can see, we can feel, we can hear, and sometimes we can even smell the beautiful aroma of the living God in our lives. In the midst of blessing and in the midst of trial, we can sense him in a real way. He is not playing hide and seek with us. He is for us. He is not against us. We don't always see the answer, but we know it's coming because he said so. Amen. Amen. I'm so sorry, guys. My lips are sticking together. So before Jesus ascended to heaven, we read this in um, Acts. He told his followers, okay, he was risen from the dead. He had resurrected, and now he was going to ascend to heaven. And he says, but I'm not going to leave you alone, okay? Don't, don't fear. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to ask the Father to send the comforter to you, which was the Holy Spirit. That was a promise from Jesus, right from his lips. They had seen Jesus crucified and dead. They buried him, and they now were seeing him resurrected. And they were charged up by that. That was really encouraging to them. It's like, wow, you meant it. When you said you were coming back, you really meant it. Wow. We can really bank on this guy. This is, this is awesome stuff. God, thank you. So he says, all right, now I'm going to heaven. And I imagine that there was probably a little bit of a, wait, 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 we don't want you to go. And he said, don't fear. What I want you to do is tarry, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So in Acts chapter two, it talks about them coming together in one mind and one accord and they're praying. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting? 24-hour prayer meeting? 48-hour prayer meeting? How about a 50-day prayer meeting? Because that's what this was. 
50 days of waiting. Think about that, church, okay? Let that sink in. It was not just a few hours or even a few days. It was a month and a half, almost two months, that they waited for the promise. If you don't think that they struggled during that time, but it says that they stayed in one mind and one accord, and I believe that's a key, is that they did not lose heart. I imagine the enemy tempted them because he is who he is. And circumstances in life probably tried to discourage them. But they knew that they could have confidence in God. They knew it. And that's where we have to get in our lives, is we have to learn to wait in obedience, trusting in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And that is not easy. And I don't stand here and make light of whatever it is you're facing in your life, you have faced or what you will face, sometimes there are just no answers to how awful this life can be, except that we serve an amazing God that will not leave us or forsake us. And he is our light in our darkness. He is our hope when it's hopeless. He is our strength when there's no more strength left. When we say, God, I can't hang on anymore. He goes, I got you. I got you. I got you. One of the ways that we experience that is corporately when we come together. It is so important that we encourage one another. There's a story in the Old Testament during a battle that the children of Israel were in. And Moses was the head of the children of Israel. And as long as his arms were raised toward heaven, they were victorious. But his arms got tired. And as his arms came down, they began to lose the battle. So two men, Aaron and Hur, came up alongside of him and lifted his arms and held them for him, held his arms up. Have you ever been to a point in life where you just can't hold your arms up anymore? You can barely hold your head up. Maybe you say to yourself, I don't even know if I can get out of bed today. But God says, I got you. I got you. Come, gather with the people of God. That is where we become a family. And you know what, church, in that Bible study, I didn't have any answers. And it was, to be honest, it was kind of freaking me out because I lead that Bible study. (laughs) And these women are sharing these really, really deep issues in their lives. And I'm going, what do I say to this, God? What do I say? You know, what do you say to a family whose little girl has been diagnosed with cancer at two and a half years old? And at four, it's back. And at five, it's back. What do you say to that? My God, that, there's, no, there's no words for that. But God gave me this passage in Isaiah. And this is what I shared at Bible study. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. The underlining is mine, and the reason I did that is because those are the things that jumped out at me as an encouragement to us when we're facing things that sometimes are unspeakable. God is perfectly faithful. His faithfulness is perfect. We can count on it no matter what. The enemy is trying to throw us in a fiery furnace. We're battling illness that, that just seems insurmountable circumstances that we just cannot seem to overcome and nobody in the world has an answer for. God says, I am perfectly faithful. My faithfulness is perfect. You have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. Church, he planned 
good for us long ago. He knew that we were going to invite sin and we were going to end up living in a world fallen with sin at work, with the death and the decay and the destruction that comes with it. But he said, even in the midst of that choice, I love you enough to come down as a vulnerable unborn child be born to human parents, submit to their authority in my life, grow to be a man remaining sinless, and then allow man to nail me to a cross for your sins. That's how much he loves us. And a God that will do that is perfectly faithful. And he thought of us a long time ago before the foundations of the earth. He planned good for us. He planned good for us. Amen. And our enemy would try to convince us that it isn't so, that God's forgotten us, that he's not for us, that he's against us. We've done something and he's mad. That is not the God we serve. Right. He loves us. And when God says, don't do that, or you need to do this, he isn't doing that because he wants to be the boss of us. Okay. The reason he tells us that is because he made us and he knows what's best for us. Yeah. And it's kind of like he's a parent when we tell our children, no, you may not have candy for dinner. And they think that we are just the meanest thing on this planet, that we won't let them have the pleasure of candy for dinner. And, but we say to them, it is not what's good for you. It is not what's best for you. I know you like it. I know you love it. And I know you think that it's the most wonderful thing to have for dinner. But I know better than you. And I know that that's not good for you. And so I say no. You see, God does the same thing, and that's us in a very imperfect parenting. We have a perfect parent who knows what's best. Father does know best. He knows what's best for us, and he is for us. And so again, I've been thinking about, okay, Lord, how do we do this? How does this work when the world is so overwhelming you can't get air? How does this work, Lord? In John chapter 4, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so part of the problem that happens in our world is we get information from so many different sources. And then we come to conclusions about God that just aren't true. And so God tells us he is spirit, and um, I did a little bit of word study because that's kind of my thing. Um, in the original Greek, the word for spirit is the same word used in Holy Spirit. So when he says, worship me in spirit, he is talking about worshiping in God's spirit. And then the word for truth is the same word that Jesus used when he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Okay, so that's the truth of God's word. That's the truth of who God is. And so sometimes what happens is we want God to be something that he's not, or we right. think God is something that he's not. And if we don't truly know him and worship him by spirit and his truth, then we're disappointed when things don't go the way we think they should. And so we have to stay true to who God is. And sometimes God says no when we want candy for dinner. And we just have to know that even though that seems horribly mean and that isn't the way it ought to be because I have the right to choose and God says, I don't want you to do that. And we go, why God, why is it like this? Why am I not seeing your goodness? Why? Well, 
we have to choose to see it in the midst of what we're going through. And in the midst of God's no, or in the midst of the world assaulting us, we have to choose to worship him the way he says to worship. We have to choose to do it God's way. We don't always like that. I'll be, I'll be the first to admit, I don't always like that. Because it's like, well, but I don't like this. So how about we make this a buffet and I get to pick what I want. <laughs> and God says, no, this is what we're having today. It's right. like, okay. Right. Okay. And so the world is really good. Like our enemy, Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans that tattled on them. He's really good at saying, if he's so good, then why this? Why? If God's so good, how many times have you heard it? If God's so good, why do children suffer? If God's so good, why is there death? If God's so good, why is there starvation? All of that. But we have to know, all of those things are a product of sin. All of those things. And it is horrible that innocence, I hate the fact that children suffer. That is one of my biggest challenges is I hate when children suffer because they are innocent. Just because they're born with a sin nature doesn't make them sinners. They don't get it yet. Right. And so why do they suffer because this guy's a bonehead? Why? It's not fair. And you're right, it's not fair. But sin, unfortunately, is not fair. But God is always good. And that is what we have to cling to in the midst of a world that is so unfair and so unrighteous and so dang mean sometimes. We have to know that God is good. And that right comes out right. And that, you know, I, I do bookkeeping. Um, I've done it for decades. And I'm telling you, sometimes it just doesn't balance. And it's so frustrating. But I will promise you that God keeps good books and his always balance. Amen. Always. They may not balance this side of eternity. It may seem really unfair, this side of eternity. But I promise you, God gets the last word. I promise you, his books are to the penny. And he keeps good ones. Now, thank God in our cases and in anyone that will repent and turn to him. Um, I don't want my books to balance. <laughs> I don't want to reap what I've sown. I want crop failure. I want mercy. I want grace in my life. And so I want those books to balance according to the work of the cross, not the work of me. Amen. Amen. Just going to throw that in there because, yeah, I don't want the books to balance if we're balancing it on my pudding head because we're in trouble. <laughs> oh, so in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is our worship. This is how we worship God. Through the praises of our lips, the fruit of our lips, what we say and what we do and how we treat others. That's how we worship God. Because, you know, even that person that really ticks you off is somebody that Jesus loved enough to die for. And I'm telling you, God reminds me of that a lot. <laughs> you know, I love them. Yeah, I know. But, boy, they're really hard to like right now, Lord. I don't really care. You're going to love them. <laughs> okay. I am. By the grace of God, I am. But that is, that is part of our sacrifice. Making allowance for one another's faults. That's been brought up in the last year or so in, uh, in sermons. 
That's tough duty sometimes. It's real easy to preach about it and go, yeah, well, we just need to give grace and love and everybody be happy with each other. And then you live in it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, really? Really? Did you just say that to me? Did you just do that? What is wrong with you? Everything from traffic to the office. And it's like, really? Really? <laughs> I'm telling Alex. Pastor Alex says to me, he called me up, and he was going to say something snarky. And he goes, I stopped. I stopped. I didn't say it. I need credit for that. I didn't say what I was going to say. <laughs> you got to appreciate that honesty, yes. man. He was going to let me have it with something. He was going to be snarky, but he decided to be nice. So he goes, I just want credit for that. So I'm giving you credit, brother. Tonight you got credit for that. So in Romans 12:1. So here's what I want you to do. This is the message version, but I love the way it puts it. God helping you. Amen. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can oh, do wow. for him. That is our worship life. Everything that we do, we strive to bring glory. Do we pass all the time? Not this girl, man. There are days that I really need a lot of grace. But in the midst of it, when we don't lose sight of that, when we realize that our lives are worship to God, how we choose to conduct our lives is worship to him. And I want to worship the true God. I want to worship the God that I think he should be. I want to worship who he really is, even when it sometimes doesn't make sense to me. I want to bring him glory. I want to honor him. And I know you do too. I know you do. And I know that you struggle like I do because we're all human. And sometimes it does not come easy. But even in the midst of it, God is always good. We worship him when we honor him with our words and our actions and our thoughts and our hearts and our intentions, our lives. We worship him when we honor him with our lives. And so worship service coming together and singing is wonderful. It's encouraging. It's uplifting, especially when you truly lose yourself in it. Think about the words that you're singing. And it's like, God, you are so amazing. Thank you for who you are. My heart set on who you are. I look towards your goodness. Those are some of the words we sang tonight. In the valley, help me not forget in the valley that you are good. Gosh, he's so good. True worship is based on a right understanding of God's nature and a right valuing of God's worth. John Piper said that, and I, I just loved it because, again, sometimes we try to reinvent God try to make him something or someone that he's not and he just says if you'll just trust me with your everyday life I will do amazing things I will take you even in the midst of a furnace hot enough to kill the guys that open the door and I will take off what's binding you and you will walk freely and I will be right there with you The enemy can throw his worst at you. And I will be a glorious God to you. I will demonstrate my goodness and my perfect faithfulness to you. Trust me. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Now i got to stop there for a minute. Paul is writing this. They've tried to kill him. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by snakes. I mean, he has had all kinds of stuff happen to him. And I think, light and momentary troubles. I think this guy needs his head examined. But actually what it was, was this was a man who had truly come to understand the nature of God. And in this moment, by divine unction, he was able to declare that no matter what he was going through, it was light and momentary troubles. For those are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know what? That furnace ain't nothing. Ain't nothing. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. And see, that's where we get in trouble sometimes. Because we, we see and we say, yeah, God can't be good. Lie from the pits of hell. But on what is unseen. Sometimes the goodness of God is unseen in this awful world. But it is still so. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I believe, church, and this is just a glimpse of the truth of this. We could explore this the rest of our lives and never fully come to understanding of this. But in the midst of my study, as I've I've sought God's face, and, and I've asked him why many times in my life. But I believe that that's in part what on earth as it is in heaven means. That in the midst of this earth, it's not heaven. My God, please don't let this be heaven. This is not heaven. Heaven is perfect. There is no sin in heaven. God is completely in control, pure, uncut. We don't even have to question his goodness because there's nothing that demonstrates otherwise. But he is promising us He tells us to pray for it and declare it. God, on earth as it is in heaven. That is a promise from our great God. We do not have to take what this world throws our way. And then we can look at the enemy and go, and you know what? Even if you do get your snarky way, guess what? My God is still bigger than you. Whatever you throw my way, devil... My God is bigger. And you know, they were thrown in that furnace. They were thrown into that furnace. And they said, we're not bowing. We are not bowing. And so they stood it. And that is where I think that in part, this truth is lived out. That regardless of what we're facing in life, we can declare on earth as it is in heaven. And devil, whatever you say, whatever you throw, I don't care because my God is bigger than you. And I don't think that we should get all up in the devil's face and get all snarky (laughs) because I don't believe that's biblical. But we can declare with confidence the goodness of God. And we can declare his perfect faithfulness. And we can declare an assurance in those things that even when we don't see them, they are still there. It is still truth. And we don't have to take what the world dishes. So it is tough, I'm, I'm telling you. We all know it. Every one of us in this room has experienced enough of life, and um, some of us a great deal more than others. 
But when it knocks you down, dust yourself off and get back up by the grace of God and say, you know what? Um, you know, th there have been times in my own life where I just, I felt like, okay, this is it. This is going to take me out. And God says, no, this is a momentary and light affliction. It's going to be okay. And I want to get snarky and say, are you kidding me? You're calling this momentary and light? This feels like like death, God. I mean, I, I think I prefer death than this. What are, you, what are you talking about? How can you say that? And he says, you've got to trust me here. I'm a good God. And this world sometimes is really mean, but I'm really good. And so hold your head up. Wait the 50 days. Know that I'm coming. Trust me when you're in that furnace because I am going to wax eloquent. I'm going to show you who I am. And then as we have those experiences, that helps build our faith. Yeah. That helps build us up because unfortunately there's probably going to be a next time because oh, yeah. we live in this world. And until we draw our last breath or we're raptured out of here, we are going to face trials. It, it is what the world is made of. And so we don't have to be defeatist about it and go, yeah, well, I guess this is just my lot. No, it's not our lot. No, it is not. We're a child of the living God. We, it is not our lot. But in the midst of it, sometimes we do deal with a fallen world, and we have to deal with that. But we deal with it with a great God who can go like that and unbind us and not let those flames even touch us. We're in the midst of it. There is no denying that we are in the midst of a fire, and yet it doesn't touch us. How does that happen? Because we have great confidence in our God, and he is showing us who he is. And we can bank on that. That is a promise that we can bank on. God is always good. We don't have to wait to experience the presence of God as in heaven. We can have it here. And that sounds like a lofty goal, but Jesus said it with his own mouth. This is what I want you to pray on earth as it is in heaven, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And his will is for us to have deep, intimate relationship with him and a confidence in who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. God, I pray that it would live in your people's hearts. God, that we would sense your presence in such a new way. That God, as we plow through this thing we call life, that God, you would be with us and that we would sense you, that we would taste and see and hear and feel and smell your awesome presence, God. Minister to your people. God, those that are struggling with real struggles, God. Oh, Jesus, I pray a special measure of grace. And that sometimes we are in the midst of a storm. And sometimes you speak calm and that storm obeys. But sometimes we're in the midst of the storm and you calm us instead. Help us to trust you, Lord. I pray that every person in this room, every person listening to my voice, would seek for a deeper, more abiding, more intimate relationship with you and that they would come to know you in a new way, Lord. And then as they grow more and more towards you, God, that you would just show them and blow their minds at how awesome you are and how much you love them. I thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't he good, church? Amen. He's a good God. And so tonight... If you want prayer, we have prayer warriors up here. If you're struggling with something and you need prayer in your life, 
then come on up to these altars. They would love to pray with you and minister to you in your needs. And lift your arms when your arms are tired. Amen. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.